Good morning. Oh, hi, Rick. My name's Sharon Brett Kelly. My friend Alexia gave me your details. Oh, yes, yes. So you know what I'm ringing about? My Nutribullet yeah, yeah, yeah. is broken. Yeah, you a bit of info about a price How can I help you? Well, I've got the Nutribullet in front of me, and basically it's just stopped working. So I don't want to throw it away. So, yeah, Replace I would rather what, fix it. Yeah. Can, can you fix something what, what like this? What sort of this? machine is it for $100? It's called Nutri Bullet 900 Series Magic Bullet. That's yeah. oh, a blender, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's one of. Oh, those... I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Sure, not like I only do major whiteware, like a like wash machines and fridges and stuff like that. But see, these days people throw stuff like that away. You know, I know. The charge. They'd probably charge you hundred bucks to look at it. No, today's detail is not about my broken Nutribullet. It's about how we can stop throwing away our appliances and fix them instead. We each throw out about 20 kilograms of e-waste, electrical and electronic waste each per year. Smartphones, printers, washing machines, dishwashers, coffee makers. Most people buy new ones every one to four years. It's harder to quantify, I think is how much of that goes to landfill and how much of it gets recycled. Shattered screens, burnt out batteries, smartphones are at the top of the list of appliances with the shortest lives. We'll hear more about Consumer New Zealand's push to make products last longer and cut the waste. But back to repairman Rick Markovina and why it's so difficult to find someone to fix my Nutribullet. The only guys that are left now are the big ones, you know, the, the big servicing companies. People have changed now, Sharon. They don't give a toss now. Like, I mean, it's just dying. You just can't get enough work to keep going, so... Really? Yeah. But why? Because Is it because people don't know that you no, are there? No, people don't care. People don't, people don't think like you, you know, anymore. I don't know how old you are, but, but, but the, the young now, like, if something goes wrong, oh, I'm just going to get a new one. Even a you know, $1,000 washing machine, people go, oh, no, I'm just going to buy another new one. They won't fix it. But where, where do these old ones go? Oh, they just recycle the metal and the electronics and, you know, stuff like that. So um, can every... sometimes, like, I mean, I, I picked them up and, I, I, you know, like, I mean, I had a mate the other day. He said, oh, I'm, I'm chucking out the old one. Well, his one was the bearings were gone on it. So I took all the electronics on of it and the pump and the agitator and a whole lot of good bits that I could, like, reuse. So re- seriously, your business is dying? Well, yeah, well, it's been doing that for years now, but it's sort of, I, I'm a one-man band, I work from home, um, so it's been able to survive like that, but you're certainly not making any money. God, that's such a uh, shame. Okay, and so should I just Google? But for them to look at it, you're not, you're probably looking at it at least a hundred anyway, so, I mean, I, if it was me, I'd go find you one of those, but see, a washing machine, I can repair it, so, yeah. you know, that's all I'd some people just get rid of them just for the sake of it, and huh. of changing it and upgrading and that. So I thought you might you know. get more business now that people are so conscious of, you know. No, they're not. No, people aren't conscious like, you know, like like that. The older ones are. The older generation are saying you know, that's because I hear that a lot. I see it every day. You know, every job I go, yeah, go do it. When companies release their new line of products, their older products quickly become unfashionable or less desirable. 
In order to get you to keep buying their goods, corporations consistently market their new lines in order to make it seem like that new gadget you just bought a year ago is an antique, even though in most cases, the older product still works. This kind of perceived obsolescence is especially prevalent with cars, technology, and fashion, because these consumer goods have been transformed into status symbols. So if you want to keep up appearances, you grab that newest model of the iPhone. If you want to look good, you buy the latest style from that Instagram ad. But countries around the world are starting to bring in changes driven by consumer movements. Let's bring in Paul Smith. I'm the, the product test manager at Consumer New Zealand. I'm a design engineer. I've worked in a lot of um, industries like automotive and um, designing furniture at Formway, doing some teaching in product design at Massey in Victoria before I got here. So are you leading this campaign built to last? Yes, and it's something that, um, that I see and we see as an organisation that, that has to change the information and advice that we give to consumers about, about products and which ones to buy and actually fundamentally changing it to say, do you need to buy anything in the first place? Because what is your experience about consumers in New Zealand? We've been testing, testing products the same way since we started 60 years ago. And, um, but over that time, you know, it used to be an issue that products, so many products weren't safe. The safety thing is still an issue in some areas, but not so much. And more recently, you know, we're testing for performance to find out which, which products work better than others. And, and what we find and what I think a lot of consumers find is there's not that much difference now between products and performance. They all work pretty well. So how do you choose between them? And, um, and it comes down to, to price, to brand awareness, and is there a difference between di- different brands? And actually, how long is this thing going to last before I either have to replace it or I'm being encouraged to replace it? Because it seems to me, Paul, that most products now aren't built to last. Like, they're not built to last a lifetime. No, I I, I completely agree with that. There are a whole load of pressures internally within product manufacturers um, to to cut corners and to to make things down to a price. It's hard to make a, a clear case that there's an intentional reduction in the lifespan of products for the you know for the sake of we want to make this last um, a shorter amount of time than it could do but there are pressures to say well we need to do this because we need to sell this for so much money and we can't make it last any longer if that's our main goal Mm. Um, and that that seems to be the driving thing within pretty much every industry you look at when it comes to manufactured products well there is that phrase isn't there planned obsolescence which i understand has been around since the 1920s yes it's a fascinating story where that came from um that was a group of light bulb, all the major light bulb manufacturers back then, and they called themselves the, um, the Phoebus Cartel. In December of 1924, the heads of all the major light bulb manufacturers across the world met in Geneva to concoct a sinister plan. Pretty much all the names you can think of now, Philips, GE, the, all the big manufacturers, 
and intentionally decided to um, to reduce how long light bulbs lasted. The Phoebus cartel collectively cut the lifespan of their products in half from 2,000 to 1,000 hours so that customers would have to buy twice the amount of light bulbs that they did previously. So this all came out about a decade later and they were slated for it, of course. But um, but yeah, that was that was their plan and it worked. This obsolescence can have drastic consequences on our wallets, waste streams, and even our climate. So my experience is that we have a Nutribullet, like probably most households now, and we've had the Nutribullet probably around five years. I think we spent about $100 on it, and one day it just stopped working. So I thought I would look into finding out if anybody fixed things like this, and I was given the details of a guy who I called, but he put me on to another outfit. So I rang them. Hello, Nina speaking. Oh, hi, Nina. Do you fix small appliances? I've got a, a Nutribullet uh, that's not working. You know, uh, like... Not, not Nutribullets, no. We, just, we have certain brands. Um, on our website, you'll see the list of brands that we do repair, but not, not, um, not um, Vitamix. It would cost too much money, um, to repair, and we're also not their service agents either. We ca- we can't actually get parts oh. for, for that. Yeah, for that product. So, do you know anyone that does fix them? Not a Vitamix, I'd say. Probably because it's going to be cheaper for you to replace it. Just give the give the manufacturer a call mm. and ask them directly. I don't know because we don't get a lot of queries for that. No. Um, so I don't know, but um, it's worthwhile giving them a call. Maybe maybe there's something you can do to get it repaired, but um, not 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 anybody that I know. Well, the manufacturer is this big, huge um, US company, so the chances of even reaching somebody there and asking them about how I get it fixed is zero, really. So it seems like I'm just going to have to throw it away and buy a new one. Yeah, it's a great example. That sort of small kitchen appliance, the more you know, I've looked into it, there's no difference in, in terms of repairability and um, durability between buying one of the, the real cheap Anco or Living & Co, you know, the Kmart and Warehouse examples, and those that we think are well-known brands, things like the, the Nutribullets, and there's no support for them at all. So, so yeah, if something goes wrong, they can't be repaired. There are no parts available. Um, as you found, they're, they're not manufactured here. So the importers aren't set up to to repair and they don't have a business where they will import spare parts. And that's partly because the products themselves aren't manufactured to make that repair easy. The Nutribullet example is a great one. It's really timely because Saturday, there's a it's International Repair Day. And um, the Sustainability Trust um, in Wellington have got a, a little event going on. So I'm taking along two blenders. Um, one is a Nutribullet that um, I bought from one of our test goods sales. So after we tested it and actually, you know, recommended it and said, this is great because it, it's a good blender. Yeah. Um, I bought it and within 18 months it had broken. Um, so I tried to take it apart and found what you did and thought there's absolutely no way you can fix this thing. I've also got a KitchenAid blender at home that I know is at least 17 years old because it's got a UK plug on it. And that's when I moved out here. Mm. Um, and I never changed the plug. I just used an adapter. And that's still going strong. Now, that 
also has just broken. But it's the coupling that drives the blade that's broken. And you can buy new ones of those. They cost $11 on Amazon. Wow. There are a whole load of aftermarket parts for it. And it's a five-minute job to take the old one off and screw the new one on. So, yeah, it, it's a really timely example that there, there are certain things around those sort of products that you know are going to fail. The goal isn't to make every single part available and everything easily repairable. It's about knowing that there are maybe two or three failures that are quite common in, a lot, in most products that are specific to that product. And if you can just design to make those repairable or even just make the parts available, that will fix most of the problems. But the industry is not set up to do that. And as you found, when it's not set up to do that, the, you lose the skills and the expertise to be able to repair things. And the other thing is, I guess, you know, I think it cost us about $100. Well, probably, even if we could get it fixed, it would cost at least that, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So that, that's the other thing, right? If you're, if you're relying on going out and getting somebody to repair that and, you know, you've got the price of the part, the price of their time, because most repairs are labour-intensive, um, so that's the bulk of the cost. When, when you can buy a new blender or whatever it is, kettles, toasters, when you can buy those for $50 or less, why would you spend $100 plus to get a repair to extend the life of one that's already old and might not last that much longer? So how do we get around this, Paul? I mean, do we have a choice here as consumers? Do I have a choice? When I go along and buy a replacement, what should I be looking for? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, because we're in a situation where you know, there, are, there are examples of more durable, more repairable products that are better supported. But at the moment, those are the companies who probably who, who tend to charge a price premium. So they're the, in, the, in the big whiteware appliances, they're people like Miele, who will quite happily give you a 10-year warranty on their washing machine and tell you that they'll provide parts and support for 15 to 20 years after they stop selling it. But you pay a lot more for one of those than you will for a lot of other brands. So if you're not in a position to be able to do that, then you are a bit stuck. And particularly with that sort of small appliance where what are your options? You either, you either splash out on something really expensive where you're buying that durability and repairability, or you're just trying to choose based on I don't know, brand awareness, brand reputation. Mm. But I think what, what we find is that that reputation for quality isn't necessarily well-founded. It's, it, it, it's grown up, but it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean that that, that brand is going to support the product as well as it should. We're, we're in a bit of a stuck situation at the moment. I'm personally frustrated. I had a fridge that broke down recently, couldn't get apart. When I eventually tracked down a part, couldn't get someone to repair it. After five weeks of running a chilli bin in the fridge, I gave up, <laughs> chucked out what was a perfectly good fridge. It was such a waste. Everyone's got a broken appliance story, even the Environment Minister David Parker. He's talking here to News Hub Nation's Simon Shepherd.
in terms of your environment portfolio, the UK, the US and uh, the EU are looking at right-to-repair legislation. Mm. So, you know, if you've got a washing machine, the manufacturer has to have those Mm. parts so you can can do that. Is that something that you'd be interested in? Yeah, I'm interested in that and we we will be considering that as part of our review of the waste management. And what's the time frame for that? Uh, Again, uh, we're expecting to make Cabinet decisions on that later this year. That at the very least is starting to push manufacturers to to make repair information freely available because that's one of the things that sometimes it's really hard to even find out if something is repairable or how to approach it and unless you're an authorized repairer you can't get hold of parts you can't get hold of manuals so there's there's legislation that's saying this has got to start happening and because these products are, are so global we'll start to see that drip into us here but I think, yeah, I agree. We do need our own legislation to help. It needs to have a little bit of a of a stick to to push manufacturers to do this. The other side of it is is consumers wanting and voting with their, I guess, voting with their wallets that that they're not going to buy stuff. But it's hard to see that that's going to make that much of a dent when you see the queues at Kmart. <laughs> And, and what we don't want to end up is is a situation where we might have um, the European Union, for example, are looking at electrical equipment in particular and making it a lot more prescribed that, that repair and durability has to be part of a, of a product. We don't want to end up as being a, a small country that manufacturers can get away with dumping their other products on. I mean, we don't, we don't want to end up, you know, we can sell it in New Zealand because they're, they don't have this legislation. They don't really care. What else would you like to see happen? I think there's sort of two levels of, of support that we need. There's, we could make a lot more of our Consumer Guarantees Act. That's an amazing piece of legislation that is getting a bit dated now. It, it, it's not changed since 1993. Um, that places the incentive on retailers and then the manufacturers to support their products for as long as is reasonable. So... If I've got a blender and I don't get a reasonable life out of it as a reasonable consumer, it's up to them to fix that problem. And the Consumer Guarantees Act says um, the remedies are replacement, refund or repair. So we could make a lot more of the repair part in that because what we don't want to happen is if something goes wrong, these products fail quickly and then we're just given a refund or we're given a replacement and that one that we're given in just ends up in landfill anyway so that could be adapted to put more emphasis on you know keeping something in use rather than just swapping it out because you know we've we've surveyed consumers recently and um, and asked them you know would you be happy with these remedies and over 80 percent are quite happy with any of those so it's not as if repair is is seen as a as a lesser option and that's where the repair by consumers or by the independent repairers needs to be cheaper and easier as well. And that could, that's a harder thing to do. But there are things we can do. We've got a network of um, repair cafes. Imagine your bike wheel gets buckled, your vacuum cleaner runs out of puff, or the front screen of your phone smashed. You could buy a replacement, or you could get it repaired at a repair cafe. The repair cafe concept is now a worldwide movement, the first in Amsterdam founded in 2009. Which is a completely voluntary run. It's, um, it runs off donations and goodwill. And they're just spaces that run maybe once a month, once a quarter, and you can take all sorts of products in there, including electrical stuff. And um, 
just a group of volunteers will try and fix it for you. Um, oh, okay. So I could take my Nutribullet to the repair cafe? You could, although I suspect you'll run into the same problem that you already have, that someone will look at it and go, yep, I can see what's wrong with that, but I can't do anything about it. Right. It's <laughs> oh, <laughs> depressing. Okay. Another way that I'm really keen to push is the idea of giving consumers more information up front. And that's something that, again, we could legislate for. I guess the thing there is trying to is looking at something like a lifetime label. And the French have started to do that. The French government has mandated a repairability index. So mobile phones, lawnmowers and a few other products, the manufacturers have to display a repairability score next to the price. Since the start of the new year, certain products are marked with a mysterious new logo here in France. Scores from 1 to 10 measure an object's reparability. They aim to encourage consumers to throw away less. The key phase for CO2 emissions is the manufacturing process. The longer appliances last, the more they can be repaired and the less CO2 is emitted. The new logos can be found on devices ranging from TVs to smartphones, computers, lawnmowers and washing machines. The index is controlled by the state but calculated by manufacturers. Based on criteria such as the documentation that accompanies the product, how easy it is to dismantle and the availability and price of spare parts. That's a way of pushing back onto a manufacturer to say um, durability and repairability is important. And this is the information we can give to consumers up front to help them make a decision. So at the point of sale, you can see that the um, Samsung whatever is more repairable than the iPhone doohickey. If we gave durability information, so a manufacturer would say, we expect this toaster to last for seven years of reasonable use, then that could become something of a competitive element. So rather than have manufacturers competing for the lowest price, they start to see more of an incentive to actually, we could make a mark for ourselves by having a slightly more durable product. And that becomes our selling point. We used to care for stuff a lot more, right? We used to look after it. And I think that's, that's the change for consumers that, that we're starting to see. Um, and it's that change from the idea that something new and something shiny is, is better than something that's older and cared for. And I think we're starting to see There's a lot more of a a movement towards, I guess, how it used to be. It makes me sound really old, doesn't it? Um, That we we used to value things that we were looking after and keeping in use. We've sort of forgotten that a bit. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded by NZ On Air and is a joint newsroom RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. Alexia Russell produced this episode. Jeremy Ansell engineered it. And thanks to Paul Smith and Rick Makavina. Kakite anō. Kakite anō.